something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here. Friday interview edition in the home studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. And everyone, we got our first documentary this week. Very excited because it's no ordinary documentary. It is my favorite documentary. Uh, The great, great film from 1981, Vernon, Florida, directed by the uh, one of the all time greats, Mr. Errol Morris. Uh, My friend Mike Anderson picked this movie. And Mike and I, as you will uh, hear in this episode, we used to work in the film business together on crews and stuff. He's old friends of old friends. And uh, we became friends through those mutual friends way back in the, I guess, sort of early to mid-90s. And um, just really, really bonded. Mike's a uh, – they truly broke the mold with him. And, and unfortunately, you won't uh, get to see Mike on full display like uh, all of us get to see uh, on this episode, but he is a uh, one of a kind, one of my best pals, and uh, we used to make movies together uh, in Atlanta, little short films. Maybe I'll share some of those on the Movie Crush page, but Mike was always an inspiration to me as a filmmaker and as a comedian and uh, just one of the funniest guys, uh, funniest guys I've ever known. So uh, Mike picked Vernon, Florida, because this is a movie that all of our friends have shared over the years as a common bond between us. And um, it's just a movie we both care a lot about and that he has even some personal stock in as he ended up befriending one of the uh, one of the real life characters from Vernon, Florida in real life. Uh, So we tell that story, too. And it was just a great pleasure getting Mike in here and talking about Vernon, Florida. So here we go, everyone, with Mike Anderson on the first documentary of the series, Errol Morris's Vernon, Florida. You know what? I'm looking forward to this. If only the chance to get to see you again. Uh-huh. 
in person. Thank you. And talk to you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, oh, that was it? That sounded like a part one of a two-part compliment. <laughs> if only to get to see you again and hear that laugh. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, well, you know, you're the first um, per- first person who's picked a documentary out of this whole series so far after a year plus. Now I'm even wondering why I did that. Well, I know why. Because Florida right. is so fucking that's, great. That's right. <laughs> you know why, but let me say why I said that. After we had the conversation mm-hmm. and I said Vernon, Florida, mm-hmm. and then we talked about documentaries on a whole. Sure. I went back and I was going, what would have been, what's the first documentary you saw? Like, oh, wow. like I can't think of what was the first documentary. I would have thought it was, you know, the Sesame Street, today we're going to the farm visit. Yeah, like it depends on what you call documentary because we grew up watching Nova and like PBS. That's right. And Time Life History and stuff like that, which are all documentaries. But like, do you mean like a, you know, movie typed up documentary? Completely because you're you're exactly right. Okay. For us, we would have seen, like you said, Nova for our age, probably military war documentaries, even though – we never saw any kind of Vietnam documentaries for no. whatever odd reason. We, you know, it was all World War II. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Visions of Light, Gimme Shelter, maybe something. But yeah, you never went to a movie to see a documentary. No, not growing up. Not not in my not in my town anyway. <laughs> not mine either. <laughs> not mine either, folks. Well, I mean, you grew up in uh, Kennesaw. I did started out. Very close to where you grew up. Yeah. In the same era. Same era. I think you're a year older than me, maybe. Probably. Were you born 70? 69. Whoa. That's pretty cool. Not I, not for the dumb sexual joke, but just to be born in the 60s. Like, I'm, I'm proud to be born in the 70s. Right. But, you know, you look like you're more in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I look more like the early 60s. <laughs> no. Uh but, like, you were – so, I mean, everyone – I'm going to set this up, before, you know, with my little preamble without you here. But you're a filmmaker, and you and I were making uh, – we had a little collective sort of of, of two people <laughs> called Friendly Neighbor Films back in the 90s. And I think we were – I'm not trying to blow our own horn, but we were pre-YouTube mm-hmm. and doing these guerrilla screenings in Atlanta – and making dumb short films all over Atlanta. And like what, I never really understood what got you into that. Like, were you doing stuff like this when you were a kid? You know, let's say I probably was, but I wasn't doing it. I didn't have, we didn't have what we have now, these cameras in our phone or even access to, you know, your early video recorder cameras I did make, you know, those early stop motion films. Uh-huh. And I know that you did too yeah. with your brother. But I always wanted to goof off mm-hmm. and entertain. Entertain my friends, yeah. just myself. You know, I was I was really, really shy. Still am. Really? And terribly shy. So is my wife, Jenny. Mm-hmm. You know, she's but who is also a performer. 
<laughs> Absolutely right. And our daughter now, Fiona, is really, really shy. And we, we uh-huh. try to say, look, you know, mom and dad aren't really that much different than you. We've just kind of figured out like this toolbox mm-hmm. that we work with, you know, to that. that's our way to cope with at all times having this kind of this fear or anxiety or nervous or shyness or whatever that is. Right. So back to the whole performance deal, that was you find out in like social settings in school or whatever mm-hmm. that to be the funny person right. is the way that you kind of, you know, you get out there and you're not just terrified at all times and you can make a few friends at lunchtime. Yeah. Right? I was telling Ruby that the other day, man. She's already a little funny and I I had like a you know how even when your kids are like three and four, you try to get these little life lessons going. Right. And I know you did the same thing. And I was like, listen, kid, being funny is like, that's a good thing. And she was like, well, why? I said, well, because people like you if you're funny, because you make people laugh and you bring joy to their lives. And so if you're funny, you can really go a long way in life because you're going to have more friends and it's sort of like you might have used it as a tool to fight introversion, but that's the thing. Like, if anyone <laughs> like just had a cursory knowledge of who you are, they would not think you're an introvert because you have this toolbox of acting the fool. That's you know what the big <laughs> facade plays off, you know, in front of everyone. But you know, but you're right though. It's if it's a tool or whatever, you use it. I, to this day, I'm still. Coming over here, mm-hmm. you know, with you, one of my good friends, it's there's that that same nervousness. But Were you nervous, nervous, and yeah. just because you know, even what I do now, uh-huh. making you know, little videos or whatever, right. or or making media or you know, presentations for clients, I'm kind of on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah, right. So many times, you know, I'm asking them the questions. Uh-huh. So just because it's new and different, there's a side of that that. You know, that still comes back. I mm-hmm. remember being, you know, it's like being six years old again. Right. But at the same time, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Because you go, well, you know, you're just going to fight through that. Right. Because as an adult, you can totally have like a larger sense of how you fit in the world and all that good stuff. Right. Uh, well, I mean, what are you doing now? Like, I think people want to hear your in advertising, I guess, is the best way to say it. It's, you know, it's funny. It's funny to answer that. What do you do? Right, you got a production company. I got, yeah, I have a production company. We make um, we make campaigns, videos, jingles, web, uh, social media mm-hmm. videos, um, everything from documentary style to singing, musical, weird, wacky social media stuff. Which is funny because that's what we used to do. Totally, and now you're doing it professionally, right? And it's what you said before. <laughs> we didn't have. You know, we were, when we were making those type of things, it was pre-social yeah. media. There was no Facebook at that time. So you would, there was, you know, the internet, you could make a website and direct everyone to that. For, right. Or remember uh, iFilm. That's right. Was the big that's deal. Right. It was going to happen. It was going to be the biggest thing. Yeah. And right. like, I fucking, on an LA trip, walked into the iFilm office with a video cassette. Right. And said, like, here, like, put this on your on your internet. Yes. Like, it sounds like 100 years ago. <laughs> and it really wasn't that long ago, which is really, I mean, I guess it is now. But technology-wise, it is it is 1,000 years ago, like, to where we are now. And I remember when we were shooting shit on uh, digital eight cameras. Absolutely. 
and high eight cameras. That's right. And uh, a little program called iMovie changed everything for us. Everything. That simple little program. Little program, and you and I were like, holy shit. We can sit here now. We don't have to, like before, you and I both got into the film business. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the same reasons. We got into the film business. I did. Um, going back to that story of being a kid and mm -hmm. nervous, what are you ever going to do? If you're in school, if you're in college, and you kind of have that feeling of like, what in the, what the fuck am I going to do now? Yeah. I have to go out there and work in the real world. Mm -hmm. And no one tells you that you can do kind of what we're doing right now. Right. That that's just an option to go into doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I talk about that a lot on the show. I never knew that you could go out and make movies. No. Like they, as a career or write movies. I thought they just happened. <laughs> I had a conversation with someone the first, like the internship that I got out of out of out of college, which was advertising because I was like, well shit, I gotta salvage this in some way. Just yeah. something that I'm doing. What was your major, advertising? It was marketing, and it was only marketing because I got into college, and the guys that I looked up to uh -huh. were marketing majors. Right. I mean, it would have been communications or theater or something right, right. like that. But, you know, I was like, what the fuck do I know? I, I just know that I'm supposed to be here in college. Mm -hmm. I don't even know at this stage that college would be even the right thing. Just right. go find a way to do that. And so then you're out on a limb, you know, your senior year or whatever, you're about to graduate, and you go, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to have to go to work for somebody. Mm -hmm. And what the hell am I going to do here? So right. you go, you know, I, I, I created and uh, chose an emphasis right. to be advertising, went to, uh, went to an agency. Mm -hmm. and In Atlanta? In Atlanta. And I remember saying to somebody, uh, like within the first week, that deal that you're supposed to be there, you know, eight, you go to five. <laughs> You know, what the fuck? What are, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I said to someone, I mean, it was honest. I was like, hey, uh, damn, this is kind of miserable, isn't it? <laughs> is this what you do? And if someone there said to me, uh -huh. oh, you get used to it. Oh, Jesus. That's encouraging. You get used to it, like a, to it. like a limp. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. I remember I attempt for a little while at a place uh, doing data entry. And I had it, uh, and this was kind of pre-internet too, because I was wasting Im immense amounts of my day. I was it was a science at pre-internet wasting time, so I really had it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, they wanted to hire me on permanently because, again, with the being funny thing, they just liked me. Right? They're like, "Oh, we got to figure Chuck's great. We got to figure out how to hire him on." And in my mind, I'm going, "I am the worst." I'm working at like a 20% level here and like you guys think I'm I'm great just because I tell funny jokes in the break room. Right. And that's when I figured out like the lie of of adulting. Yes. And being in like a job and like no, you just work hard and do your jobs like no, that really has nothing to do with it. Okay, so that Chuck transitioning into going into say us getting jobs in the film business. Yeah. Because we both got jobs in the film business. Like, where you don't have to grow up. Where you don't have to grow up. But, mm -hmm. you know, there was a side of me that thought getting into the film business, like knocking on doors or finding someone that I knew that actually worked into the, in the film business, mm -hmm. was going to be in a similar way that ladder that you were trained. Yeah. A corporate ladder. Right. You'll get in as a production assistant. Yeah, sure. 
But you and I, I think, both already knew we wanted to make content. Yeah. Something silly, whatever. Just entertain people. You more than me. Like, you were way more organized and motivated than I was even, I think. Because I was like, I was trying to write more than make films. And you were, like, doing the film work. You know, I just wanted to put something out. Yeah. If it was only to entertain you guys. <laughs> right? What, yeah, sure. And so... And this will go back to that iMovie thing with you, by the way, too. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we would start, you know, we started working the, in the film business. I realized in a certain sense it was real similar to, to the corporate structure in a way and mm -hmm. in just the fact that you weren't going to work your way up a ladder, mm -hmm. right? You, but you had people around you that, w that had similar ideas, wanted to do some things. And so we could all kind of collectively start working together mm -hmm. to do some fun stuff together. Yeah. Right? So here comes here comes the the Apple. Sure. The iMac. Yeah, the technology. iMovie. Mm-hmm. And boom, you know, I started I think I started first making a few things because I don't know if you had your computer yet. Yeah, I mean you you inspired me. You were like leading the way for but, sure. But this is what happened, Chuck. You would do shit so much better. So much faster because I would have some idea that I thought was a great idea, like make a little music video and and uh, slow it down and then ramp up the video. And mm -hmm. you would you'd call me and you'd go, "Hey man, that looks cool. How'd you do that?" Yeah. And then you'd go you'd go and do it, and it'd be like ten times better. No, it, it was good. <laughs> well, I will say that like iMovie, it's funny to look back now on what a like simple editing program that was. But let's say like. It, iMovie says you can do these 10 things. We figured out how to do 40 things. Right. And these days they would call that a hack or whatever. And I hate using those stupid new terms, but we hacked the shit out of that program. Right. And we're doing things that they didn't, uh, like on paper, you did couldn't do. And we just figured out how to reverse engineer things and manipulate things. And we got way more out of that program than... Probably anybody in history. You're right, right. Blew up that damn computer so many times. Yeah, because we refused to go to fucking, uh, well, not Final Cut Pro, would, but. Uh, uh, would be Adobe? Yeah. Adobe Premiere? Adobe Premiere. I was too lazy to learn all that. Right. So we just kept hacking iMovies yes. to, to what we wanted to do. And it worked. Do. You know, and there's an aspect. It's funny. I saw something. I saw something yesterday. That, you know, I work in Final Cut now, and sure. I saw, but it doesn't really matter, because now you have even these apps on your iPhone mm -hmm. that will be, it really pisses me off, because to work in Final Cut, that you will buy plugins or whatever you have, right. and now things on your iPhone are there that's like, <laughs> fuck every single person that uh, has a, yeah. you know, 1080p or 4K camera uh, walking around, but the app or plugin or whatever it was said uh, was to look like old VHS. <laughs> and so we were doing things that we had to kind of look like old VHS yeah. and put a filter on it to look like film mm -hmm. just because that's all we had. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and we did, I mean, some of the stuff is out there. It's it's funny. I looked at, uh, I, I think I even shared Technical Knockout on the Movie Crush page and I hadn't looked at it in a long time, and all that stuff looks so shitty now because of, I don't know, I guess YouTube just changes over the years. Right. It's all compressed and, like, 
grainy looking. Like it looked better back then. So right. it's it's kind of a shame because mm-hmm. we were like one of I think we put out videos number eight through twelve that were on YouTube. Totally, <laughs> we were so early on that and shit. It, the timing, man. The timing was so. Like, we kind of both had to bail. I know. Right, right when it became accessible and, like, it's so weird. And you can't find I think you've said you've tried to go out there and look and find that stuff. Uh, you know, I think I have the original tapes. Right. And it is, on the, it is on the long list to, like, right. get those transferred one day. Yeah. Uh, but the, I think the thing that we worked on that had the most potential, obviously, was, was RV, was Redneck Vampire. Right. Which, do you want to... Just yes. okay. tell everyone what that project was, that project. Yeah. This is how the Redneck Vampire came about, is you and I were already starting to kind of work on certain little things together, uh-huh. right? If only, again, for our friends, there yeah. was something called the Friday Shoutout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And that we'd make a video or something for all of our friends. It would be kind of a a routine, a technique to make some type of content for uh-huh. your friends on a weekly level. Yeah. And that had already started. So about that time, mm-hmm. um, the Blair Witch Project had come out. Right. And let me couch this with the fact that you have always done come up with characters. That's right. The whole the whole Friday shout out was based upon weird, wacky characters right. a lot that I would do. Yeah, yeah. So back to the motivation of the redneck vampire. Mm-hmm. And there's also the documentary that we're going to be talking about too was already a predecessor to this as well. Yeah, for sure. Um is that the marketing campaign behind Blair Witch I thought was probably, you know, phenomenal yeah. at the time. Now I remember it was we had not seen that. It's old hat now. Completely. You, you couldn't get away with that today because it happens yeah. Kind of in our real world, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, all the time that, hey, did you hear about this? It's yeah. real. Everyone jump on board. Yeah, right? dude, I remember distinctly sitting in Scotty's apartment on Claremont and stumbling across that Blair Witch website going, fuck, dude, do you see this shit? I think this fucking this is real. It was done so damn real. <laughs> I know. So they release it on what? Limited theaters, uh-huh. maybe one or two, have news crews everywhere that are look at this line out the door with that website. Mm-hmm. And all of us are just biting into, holy shit, this yeah. fantastic thing, uh-huh. witches and whatever, these yeah. guys getting killed. Found footage. Found footage. So we go, We, I think a group of us go to that theater, and I'm sitting there, and... And you go, this isn't great. <laughs> totally. I was like, "You are you bullshitting? I can't believe the campaign was so awesome yeah. that I'm, you know, not to put them down as a movie, but I thought they got us all. Yeah. They duped us. A bit, sure. So that was the part that I went, why couldn't you do this? Have a similar type of marketed concept mm-hmm. and make it uh, something something completely different. Right. And so then we came up with just almost by accident on a Halloween, I got teeth to go to some. Oh, that's right. We, that was where it started. On like a Halloween, I got teeth. And instead of it seeming like stupid vampire, it turned out to be. Yeah. It turned out to be. <laughs> 
Michael Ray Van Meter. I forgot he was born that night. That was, uh, I mean, we won't tell stories about that Halloween on the air, but it was a very awesome Halloween night for all of us. So there there it was. Yeah, he was born that night. Right. That's right. So, in a funny kind of circle events, even to where you are right now, Mm -hmm. like that we've come full circle to where we're sitting right now, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. That we went into this expose of... Chuck Bryant mm-hmm. playing Mike Anderson for some weird yeah, reason yeah. because I had made, <laughs> already started making the film. That's right. Film. I, right? I was documentary quotes. filmmaker That's Mike right. Anderson. Mike Anderson, <laughs> you doing what you do right now, exploring the, the story uh-huh. of some weird person yeah. in Alabama uh-huh. that claims to be a vampire that's lived over 200 years old. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was so much fun, man. Some of the most fun I've ever had in my life was shooting redneck vampire stuff with you. You know what? It's like we had, um, we kind of had our own little relationship, mm-hmm. just as, you as, and me. As quote, unquote, never, actors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Never really knew exactly where it was going. Oh, no, no. It was all improv. Totally. We didn't call it improv. But you had some awesome questions <laughs> that motivated some really... <laughs> stupid, awesome stuff, I thought. Well, and it was it was like, it gave me a lot of confidence to like, because playing the straight man is still playing a role. Yeah. And I was like, I'm a pretty good straight man to Mike's tomfoolery over there as RV. And uh, I don't know, I think it gave me a lot of confidence back then to sit down with someone and improv comedically and because I'd never done that stuff. I know Jenny, your wife, is... is a long-standing improv comedian, like on stage, skilled and trained. Yes. But you and I had never been trained in that stuff. We just acted a fool. You were great. You never. In fact, the acting of yours, since you would never crack up, <laughs> right? <laughs> never crack up. I mean, there was times was that okay it would just fall. It would fall out for me that you would never crack up. So there's, you know, I have thought about before. Like even when stuff you should know started, I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> Chucky really, he is awesome at this. He's already kind of parlayed this. You know, what what you were doing there, Yeah, you were looking, instead of you going for any kind of stupid route with it, uh-huh. you would hold your ground right. with, so are you immortal? Right. Right? Yeah. And really try to dig into that. Yeah, because the premise was like, obviously, as filmmaker Mike Anderson, I wasn't buying that this guy was a vampire. Yes. I was like, this guy is a crackpot from Alabama who I think really believes he's a vampire. So let's investigate that. And that was sort of the premise of the whole thing was not, oh, is this guy a vampire or not? Is right. what is really going on with this guy? Right. Which, as you know now, it's like we, we missed a, a bit of time. We missed a little time frame with what we could have done with early social media, even mm-hmm. just by a few years. But you know now, I mean, if we were to like – do that right now, it wouldn't happen nah. because there's bullshit like this that's coming out. Yeah. And not to call it bullshit, but you know what I mean. It's like the timing of everything. Yeah. There's, it just, there was a little window of time we uh-huh. just missed with that. Yeah, right? and even, not only I think were we ahead of the curve on stuff like that and even mockumentary to a certain degree, but um, the vampire thing, like, exploded after we were doing that stuff 
through like True Blood and uh, all the Twilight stuff, like all that stuff came afterward to the point where if we did it now, everyone would be like, I'm fucking sick of vampires. I like to say that's kind of been my story, Chuck, an overachieving <laughs> underachiever. <laughs> It was fun stuff, though. It was. Uh, it was. It was great. What should? Where can we direct people to watch? Uh, I love the stuff you're doing with Dr. Draper. He's a a local veterinarian here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That uh, you're you're doing some funny stuff. Like I told you, I heard Emily in, in the other room the other day just laughing her ass off. I was like, "What are you watching?" She's like, "It's Mike's stuff with Dr. Draper." <laughs> yeah, we're doing right now. We're doing a um, a webisode with Dr. Draper from the Village Vets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of uh, documentary to some scripted mm-hmm. to some musical stuff. It's on the Lords of Sapelo Vimeo site, yeah, right now. And so we don't know we don't know where it's going to go. What we're right. doing with it, you know, the first five episodes we're doing right now. So it's awesome, man. We'll see. thank you. He's great. He's awesome. Yeah, and it's all it's all like. Behind all of that is like a love of animals and trying to get awareness and the word out. It's not just like silly stuff at a veterinarian. Right. He, he's he's great. You know, yeah. you're your vet, right? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't seen one of our animals in a long time because um, you know they have so many doctors there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we still go there. He's great. He's the best. Who knew he was funny? <laughs> no kidding, right? And he's can awesome. sing. Yeah, sing. absolutely. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery 
But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Uh, all right, dude. Well, let's get into Vernon, Florida. Um, we'll chat about Errol Morris for a minute. Um, because when you asked me earlier, like the first documentary you saw, surely it happened in high school. But mm-hmm. when I really remember truly getting into documentaries, like seeking them out as their own art form, was early college uh, through the direct influence of Jinky, of Jason Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So for everyone listening, he's a friend of mine that I worked with in college who uh, was, in retrospect, very influential in my life. Uh, he was my first – I was coming out of being like a church kid in high school and fairly limited worldview, get to college, and I meet this weirdo mm-hmm. who's, as you know, one of the great human beings. But Jason was just like – Oh, dude, you need to be listening to this music and look at this documentary and this artist and all this stuff that I had never even heard of before. Outsider art, fringe art, uh, unknown filmmakers and like just open my eyes to everything. And so I owe Jason a huge debt and I've, I've told him that. But I remember distinctly watching Vernon, Florida with Clay, Clay Five mm-hmm. and Jenkins in college, and it was one of those deals where you know how you discover something, and back then it was there was so much more discovery because you know you didn't have social media, and or this is actually even pre-internet. We didn't even fucking have computers mm-hmm. in our houses in college at first, and it's like, come over, man, I got to show you something. So everyone comes over, pop in that VHS, and then you feel them out of the corner of your eye, like looking at you for your reaction. Totally. And that's exactly my first viewing of Vernon, Florida, was these guys just like giddy in anticipation of sharing this with their friends. Right. You know? You know what? I think, was it Jenkins? Was it you? Was it Clay Five? I feel maybe all three of you guys were involved with, I remember, say, Mr. Show. Mm Mm-hmm. Something else, maybe around music, something. Tenacious D, maybe. Tenacious D and Vernon, Florida. I can remember yeah. a night, and here's here's the thing, because when you have influences like this, we have influences of a, a, someone like Jinky that comes in and shows you something. There is that influence with it, and then all of your friends, and sometimes you, I think you take that to be, that's kind of our click. Mm-hmm. thing that came together, the weird thing or magical thing or whatever it is with Vernon mm-hmm. is that, yes, within our group, we would always say the lines of each one of these characters mm-hmm. or whatever, and and we can get into, like, every one of these characters, how magical each of them sure. are, but 
throughout time, I have been in places. I was at the Porter Bar one time talking to someone about Vernon, Florida, years later. Uh Uh-huh. Like within the last 10 years, yeah. right? That I'm there and I say Vernon, Florida, and some kid, you know, 10 years younger than me mm-hmm. came back <laughs> yeah. and he said, hey, man, I, you know, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to bother you. Did you just say Vernon, Florida? It's one of those movies. Right. Where when you hear it in a room said out loud, you are drawn to go speak with that person about it. Right. You know, you would never hear someone mention Vernon, Florida and just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. You would have to go up and say, hey, listen. I'm a, a a Verner. <laughs> so so what is it though? What is it? I mean, did you like why? Yeah, I mean, I'm asking you because when we talked about this, it just you know randomly came to me when we were texting about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would be of course Vernon, Florida. Sure. And there's a zillion movies we could talk about, but yeah. that came out that I was like, let's um let me just go look at this again. We've both seen that movie probably uh, yeah. a thousand times, sure. if not more. <laughs> That I watched it again, say, today. I watched it two nights ago. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're those same characters. You've seen them before. Know it by heart, practically. Every one of those, they're just like magic. But I've thought like, say, Coen Brothers writing characters. Mm-hmm. You know, the Coen Brothers, their characters are so rich in the yeah. dialogue, the beats or whatever. Every one of these guys, it's not just Henry Shipes, the turkey hunter. Right. Every one of them, if you were to cast, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. What do you see there? You could, you would go, that's the fucking guy. Got to cast that guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Turkey Hunter and the old guy, it's like he fell into some kind of magic, right? Yeah. And it's, I think people do, like getting back to your question, like what is it about it that would make you go over to someone in a room, a stranger who you just heard say the words running in Florida right. and talk to them? It is this little, like, treasure, and part of it is that it isn't super well-known still, um, except among, you know, the cult following. But it's like it's like being in the club, you know, of, like, you know about the, the funny thing that no one else knows about. Right. You know, right. it never was. I mean, even when trying to do some, quote-unquote, research on this, there's not a lot out there. Right. Um, I mean, you know the story. The original story is... Mm-hmm. So Errol Morris goes to make a movie, a documentary about Ed Gein, shoots some footage, hooks up with Werner Herzog as his mentor, Mm -hmm. and they are able to raise $2,000. And what he's going to do, and I didn't know about this part, but he's going to go dig up a body and be a grave robber, basically, as part of this Ed Gein project, serial killer Ed Gein. He decides not to do that. Werner Herzog is... He has, he has your money. Yes. He gives him a cash envelope of $2,000. Supposedly, Errol Morris throws it out the hotel window. Werner goes out in the parking lot, gets it, brings it back, and gives it to him again and says, please don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I need my shoe. So this was, well, he did. He cooked and ate his fucking shoe, yeah. as very famously, if Errol Morris finished a project. Uh, and so he, this that was the seed money that sent Errol Morris to Vernon, Florida, this Tiny panhandle town in in Florida, inland. You know, it's not on the beach. Right. (laughs) Very important. Yes. There's a lot of Floridas. Yes. And and this is one of them. Um, To investigate what was known as Nub City. Right. Which was a town in Florida that was called Nub City because in the 50s and 60s, 
I believe a third of the dismemberment policies paid out in the country originated in Vernon, Florida. Imagine. Because people were fucking shooting off and cutting off limbs as insurance scams. And, and who was the first person that found that, the little, you know, small uh, wording within their insurance policy that they can just blow off their foot and, you know, <laughs> cash in? I don't know, but it was such a small town. I mean, I think it it actually peaked in the early 80s when he was there of like 800 and something people. Right. So you know how it is in those towns. Word gets around that, you know, Jimmy shot his foot off on purpose and scammed the insurance company and it worked. Right. And he got five grand. So then all of a sudden everyone starts doing it. Errol Morris goes down there to do this documentary on Nub City, gets uh, frightened by supposed death threats. I think he even says on here, uh, uh, hold on, where is it here? Well, there's a great Mental Floss article, by the way, about Nub City. And Errol basically says that... uh, these, you know, these rednecks right. threatened him about this documentary. So he just changed plans. It was like, this town is kind of great. I'll just make it about you people. And we won't talk about limbs getting blown off. That's right. So that's the story behind Vernon, Florida. Because it seems weird. Like, why, how of all places did this Bostonian, you know, coastal elite documentary filmmaker end up there? That's how he ended up there. And the characters that he found though, right? Yeah. Are just unbelievable. Yeah, and it's one of these things that I've seen so much over the years uh that watching it as a 40 almost 48-year-old last night and through the study lens of the show, I like really examined it as a film and like the decisions he made on how long to hang with a character, right? When to introduce a new character why these characters to begin with, you know? And, like, is there a through line? And it, a lot of things stood out that we'll get to, but one of them was religion is kind of peppered throughout this thing in a way I had never really noticed. Because we used to just laugh at it. It's like, oh, this is fucking funny. Yeah, here comes that. Here comes the part, the turkey hunter again. He's going to say this part. Yeah, but there's a lot more going on than That's that. That's right. Once you get a little older and look at it for the 500th time. That's right. You know? Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Watching it again a little yesterday and today, that not only the cuts that he made, Mm -hmm. the cuts that he made on a particular character that he may have spent the day hunting with Henry Shipes, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, I I was going, this guy, he found some kind of of magic within this. Or luck, and there's religion again. That whole religion thing toward the end of the film. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that the the guy with the jewel, yeah, and he's taking the photo of the, put it up there to the lens <laughs> and see the star and all these galaxies and all. He mentions that. He says, you know, how does how does that happen? Right. Luck, luck. When something turns out, you say, "Gee, I'm lucky." That was the character? The character says that. And I was like... Albert I, Bitterling is his name, by the way. Th- I never had picked that up before, like where this is going, the flow of right. the film at this point in time, right? Uh-huh. That, you know, I, I felt like, how did I miss that all these years? Because we've recited these, we've recited every line. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, and then it goes right into... That, the luck with religion toward the end of that. Right. 
So the very first thing you hear is that character, Albert Bitterling, say, you mean this is the real world? <laughs> I never thought of that. And that's like, it. I, I think it was uh, Morris called him his Cartesian philosopher in the swamp. And he said that he starts the movie with a voiceover line that's still one of my favorites in all of film. And that's Errol Morris talking about Bitterling's words there. Wow. And we have laughed. I mean, he's tied for first among three characters yes. in this movie yeah. as my favorite. But uh, I had never, like I said, we just laugh about it. So I never realized that this guy is, he's always philosophizing. And he's usually saying something kind of profound and beautiful. Yes. But it's, all you see is like, ah, oh, this dumb redneck. Right. But that's not true. Not true. There's a lot more going on there. The worlds. How about the worlds? When he's talking about that, the luck. Luck, luck, when you see, it turns out you say, what was that? Gee, I'm lucky. He says, what would every one of these stars? It's a different world. Right. Right? Like the old, like the old stoner conversation. <laughs> it's a different world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I use the line still, you know, when he's looking out over the river about, uh, you know, look at all that water. That's just the top of it. Like I've dropped that line on, I dropped that line on a, a on a cruise ship one time at yeah. night with a bunch of people on the top deck looking out at the ocean. Someone's like, look at all that water. It's like, yeah, that's just the top of it. Man, and everyone's like, whoa. Whoa, this guy's deep. <laughs> Albert Bitterling. Uh, and, you know, this is a movie that has been retroactively derided in some circles as like kind of patronizing. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of the people in Vernon were like, he came down here and made fun of us. But Errol, I, I don't see it that way. And Errol Morris said this in an interview. Um, he said, they're all pretty wonderful and I have great affection for them. Uh, I haven't heard from them in a long time. So if you write something, he's talking to the article guy, uh, the author. He said, if you write something, please tell everyone in Vernon I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he also tweeted recently, like a year ago, about Bitterling. He said, uh, Albert Bitterling, one of my favorite characters in Vernon, used to tell me, you know, Errol, you don't break the rules. The rules break you. (laughs) But it is that sort of redneck philosophy that's so it's kind of basic, but also deep in some ways. Well, it's 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 very Florida, too. And I can say that because my family is all from a small town in Florida. Oh, really? Yes. From Zephyr Hills. Where's that? Zephyr Hills is just north of Tampa. Okay. So people know of Zephyr Hills now because of Zephyr Hill Spring Water. Oh, okay. Right? That's what, all right. Yeah, but you know, when 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 I was young, I'd go to my aunt's every summer in Zephyr Hills uh-huh. and it was it looked somewhat like Vernon. Yeah, well, right? our family was Pensacola, which is not very far from Vernon. Yeah, though, but right? but on the beach, but right. this was in the mid to early 80s on the Panhandle before it got like really overdeveloped. So it was kind of a sleepy little Florida town. And Florida always has that kind of the reputation for Sure. The weird or whatever. And yeah. I think that goes back to what you're saying. The people say that he was making fun of it, which, he, you know, I don't think he was. But there is this kind of dynamic that we always say about, man, there's some weird stuff that goes on in Florida. Yeah, Florida man. Florida man. I mean, Another one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's somewhat recently that we could say, well, there is your somewhat of a reboot of this Vernon, Florida in just characters that is in Florida, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but Errol Morris, I mean, he he started all this. Absolutely. 
I don't know if he started the fascination with Florida, but mm-hmm. I mean, this is sort of the proto version of a lot of uh, right stuff that followed. You know. Well, well, here's here's one. Do you even remember this? Okay, or if you're gonna jumping into another character, which is Henry Shipes. Yeah, so he's the turkey hunter. Um, you go ahead and tell the what happened with you because you had a real life connection with this guy that just still blows me away. Okay, Henry Shipes. When we're um, reciting lines from this movie, and and pretty much. Certainly three characters you could use to recite lines all the time, and we'd have them on loops uh-huh. somewhat, you know, throughout when we were much younger. We'd say those lines all the time. Henry Shipes, a.k.a. the turkey hunter in Vernon, Florida, mm-hmm. has some of the most awesome scenes and lines, mm-hmm. right? So, in fact, maybe the star, we'd say maybe the star of the movie. Yeah, right? for sure. That... Um, years later, I even started thinking about how long is this guy really going to be around? Right. And this movie- This has is 81. Shot 80, in like shot, 79 and 80. That's right. Yeah. And came out in 81, right? Yeah. And this would have been 2004, 2005. Yeah. That just something about the idea of, of you know, mortality- Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, I hadn't even started thinking about my own, which I do a lot more now. I know. <laughs> but you start thinking about these things that made an impact on you. Right. And this guy, I thought, you know, he's brought us so much joy. We say these lines all the time. When I met Jenny, my wife, you know, one of the first things, I, yeah, that movie's on all the time. And she starts saying these lines. And I yeah. mentioned all the different people that say, if you're, you know, Vernon, Florida, and it's this guy. Right. So... It would probably be easier nowadays to find research someone. Oh, sure. But I started digging around, um, not even being able to know who, like, Albert Bitterling Uh or Henry Shipes was, but somewhere in, like, a byline or some kind of notes for the movie, found some names, researched those, and found out that Henry Shipes was, in fact, the turkey hunter from some newspaper article. Yes, because it's not like at the end of Vernon, Florida, it said starring Henry Shipes as the turkey hunter. That's right. You had to find, you had to work just to get their fucking names. Absolutely. So I find this name because something else had happened around Vernon or, say, Pensacola or something in that area. Uh May have been known from the movie Uh Vernon, Florida. (laughs) He had a lead. So I find, you know, then I'm calling information for yeah. a Henry Shipes. There was a Henry Shipes Jr., uh-huh. his son. I get senior, call Henry Shipes Sr., he answers the phone. Fucking right? unreal, dude. And uh, some backstory on him he was, uh, he owned a restaurant, he owned an oyster bar. Uh huh. Right? So he'd run his oyster bar and he'd go turkey hunt. Right. Right? Yeah. That was his life. So. We were going down there, and again, this this goes back to me saying the overachieving, underachiever of life that I have been. Uh-huh. You and I, working for the minute that we were in our our existence, yeah, to uh, for a company to have just be in the geographic location of Vernon that we could have gone over there because Henry Shipes was like, I still have that turkey trophy, right, from the movie. Uh-huh. That was going to be mine. 
Yeah, he was going to give this to you. That's right. So you guys, I don't know if people are following this. You you struck up a, a friendship over the phone That's with right. Henry. Like, did you call and say, like, hey, I love this movie and you brought me joy and, like, let's talk? I, I did. I was like, I mean, it was so surreal, Chuck, because here is this guy that you've said his words so many times. I know. And to, know? to us, he was like this star. Completely. Yeah. That um, I was, you know, I wanted to know more. Yeah, yeah. And he had even said, come on over. You can even see it when you, when you, look, at, when you look at the movie. Mm-hmm. He, he does the story with, uh, of the three turkeys that he killed, 11-inch beard, <laughs> each one of those. But when, when Errol the, or camera goes to find each one of those, you see above that, uh-huh. there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot more stories. And so Henry, Mr. Scheib, said, Mike, come on over, you know, come on over here and, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you and I'll go ahead and give you that one. There's a bunch of them over here. God. And it just didn't happen. And you know what? In the window of time, the window of time, like the other window of time, it slips away, Mm -hmm. right? Because we happen to be down there having to do some other work. And it was close enough, but not so close that we couldn't just, like, drop in. We could have, right? Should have. Should have. Yeah. But didn't, and he was in pretty poor health. Yeah. Old. Yep. He passed away. Passed away. And that was it. Yeah, man. But you know what? Like, it's easy to retroactively sort of beat yourself up about not going there in person and getting this turkey trophy. Um. But, like, you did it. You called him, and you did strike up a friendship with him. And I think it meant something to him. Uh, Like, you played me phone messages and stuff, and you could always hear the delight in his voice when he heard from you. Because, I mean, we were like, oh, I bet you get bugged all the time. Right. You know, because you're fucking Henry Scheiss. You're starburn in Florida. And it's like, this movie's so important to us. And he was, I think he was delighted that you took interest. He was great. He'd call. I mean, I still have. I still have recordings. Do you really? Yeah. So in like a, in kind of a uh, lockbox mm-hmm. with firebox with all those old <laughs> friendly neighbor, you know, movies and yeah. stuff like that. They're just got locked in there is also these recordings. Wow. Of Henry Shipes and, you know, an old VHS of Vernon, Florida, which now you can just look it up on the internet. Yeah. I wonder if... Um... Man, if I'm ever lucky enough to talk to Errol Morris for any reason, I'm, I'm going to tell him about that. I'm yeah. sure he'd be think that was pretty cool. Yeah, I almost I tried when I lived in L.A. I was when I was PAing. You know, Errol Morris shot a lot of TV commercials, still does, and he had a kind of the same crew he worked with. And I worked with a PA that was on the Errol Morris crew, and I was like, "You got to get me in, dude. Right? You got to get me in." And yes. he was sort of like. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. But, yeah. you know, like, everyone wants to fucking work on these yeah. jobs. So, like, you know, we'll see. Right. You, you got any weed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can set you up with something with Errol. I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to do for me? So I never got to work with him, which is a shame. But, um, yeah, Henry is one of the great characters. And, not, and again, it's not just like, oh, that shit is so funny. But he's got a lot to say about life. And I think it's no secret that he that turkey hunting is a metaphor for a lot of things about life, you know, yeah. from from his mouth to, to our ears, I think you can learn something by listening to Henry Shipes. Absolutely. 
There's just there's something just about he reminds me a lot of uh my uncle. My yeah. uncle Ralph like comes from a small town like this as well. That there yeah. is Okay, Henry Shipes will say things that that back to say if it was the Cohen brothers that you go, could you write something like that? Right. So good that seems maybe so ridiculous or contradictory. Yeah. Right? That he says, okay, one of those, I, again, I, it, it should be a poem. Mm-hmm. It's so, and I won't do it as Henry, but occasionally you call a big gobbler away from some hens, but very seldom. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not even try to call one away. Well, you always try. You always try. But you can't do it. I never have. Uh-huh. Very, very seldom. Yeah. All right? Uh-huh. Kind of hilarious, yeah. but at the same time, the way he says it and, the, you know, where he's coming from, he seems like just such a genuine, mm-hmm. down-to-earth guy yeah. when, when you're seeing him say these things yeah. that you want to hang out with this guy. I bet he had the damn friendliest oyster bar in the Florida panhandle. That's right. You know? Is that like how er- great? Earl would come in. That's what he called <laughs> Errol. Earl. <laughs> And Nate. <laughs> and Nate. And you know what he said about Nate? Snake. Uh-huh. Snake became mayor. Oh, he told you this? Yes. Really? Because yeah. you were asking about everything. Yes, everything. Wow. Everyone everyone had uh, Snake was the died. mayor. Snake was the mayor. Not very good, he said. <laughs> you know what Snake's platform was? Uh, strong silence. <laughs> I don't think Snake said a fucking word. He was a good listener, though. Yeah, he was a good listener. You want that in a politician. Um, I mean, we'll go through some of these lines too. Some, uh, I mean, they're all my favorite lines, so it's mm-hmm. really hard to pick. But obviously, one of Henry's favorite lines for me is uh, talk in talking about turkeys. Mm-hmm. They a smart bird, smartest we got in this country. <laughs> in this country, yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. Is he thinking about like, well, he's not as smart as the yes. the Chinese, uh, whatever. Uh, that's right. <laughs> in this country. It's so great. Uh, so you're, you, he's jumping just editorially and filmmaking wise. He's kind of spending a lot of time with uh, Henry and uh, and Albert at yes. first, and then after the great scene about the diamond, you know, what are they looking for? No, what are you looking for, huh? Right after that, it, you, it's just like a, a a punch to the funny bone. With uh, you ever seen a man's brains? I <laughs> just out of nowhere, and this guy, you're already loving what you're watching. Mm-hmm. Clay and Jason are giggling at me watching this, and then the brain bowl guy pops on the screen. I have seen him, <laughs> scooped him up, picked him up brains, <laughs> like buying brains. That's like that's the punch on top of the punch. I know, man, it's so good. And watching it a couple of days ago, I was like, especially you know. Everyone is just so much more uh, advanced emotionally and and as far as political correctness. And I was thinking, is this guy mentally disabled? Right. Should I be laughing at this? Right. I don't think he is. No, I don't think so either. I think he's an old country guy. I think so as well. I I mean, could he? He he may have had a been hit in the head with a shovel at some point. (laughs) Maybe so. Yeah. There's, you know, there's another, you know, one of the other guys says at some point where he's just rambling on mm-hmm. about, he's rambling on about the person said, 
got two shells are going to take our lives. You know, I uh-huh. put the gun in my mouth and <laughs> use my big toe. Right, of how to kill yourself with a, a rifle, basically. <laughs> That's right. Uh, how he's going to kill himself. And the other old guy that you picture, they're sitting outside of this garage all day. Yeah. He kind of motions to him. Uh-huh. He said, weren't none of his brains working. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the guy telling the story, uh-huh. right? That you know that all of this is just yeah. being, you know, recorded or filmed at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm glad you brought that guy up because that scene, it's uh, – I didn't get his name. I couldn't find his name, but the Brain Bowl guy. Yes. The old-timer who we're going to talk about was mm-hmm. sitting in the middle. And then this new guy, he's a fucking asshole. It never really occurred to me, but watching him, he's on screen for 40 seconds, and he takes two fucking pot shots at Brain Bowl guy. Yes, weren't none of his brains yeah. working, that one. And he has another one. He insults him like uh, twice. Uh. In a row, in the 30 seconds of screen time, I'm like, that guy's a dick. Yeah. He's, the, he's the villain. <laughs> One villain of our story in Vernon, Florida. He is the villain. Oh, boy. Um, then you get, uh, character-wise, you go right into the, the cop. Yes. Um, with a very brief intro. It's like just maybe a minute to introduce him. And uh, this is the police officer who's just, he's bored. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to laugh at him about small-time cop or whatever, but it's very clear now watching it. He's bored as hell. Completely. And, you know, another thing that's contradictory to all the things that happen throughout this film is he's bored as hell. He says nothing happens. Yeah. And later on, he shows a bullet that came through the windshield. (laughs) Well, yeah. And almost hit him, which, by the way, I had never paid attention enough to it before to this is right around the time that Albert Bitterling is saying, luck, you're just lucky. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, But you're right. He's bored, and he is he is one of the lesser characters, I would say. Yeah, but it's funny that one part he's talking about the various crimes. Yes. And he, he rattles off basically shoplifting things that cost less than a dollar. <laughs> he's like, well, you know, we get some cases of people stealing, you know, like bobby pins. or <laughs> And he names off like three things in a row. I'm like, dude, those all cost like 70 cents. You're right. And that's the crime yes. in Vernon. Yeah. It's great. Uh, the other thing that really got me, too, is that just documentary-wise, like Errol Morris went on to do – I mean, he's, to me, still one of my favorite documentarians. But he he went on to be very uh, – more highly produced stuff. Right. Uh, and a little more slick, for lack of a better word. Still very effective. But, like, this is documentary in its purest form, which is sit a camera down on some sticks – uh, sit next to that camera right. and fucking talk to somebody. Yes. And then not only the talking part, not talking, mm. the uncomfortable silence. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's really hard for us at times to, you know, he'll ask that question to these people. Uh-huh. And as you know, that, that camera would just stay stay rolling. Yeah. And he would just stand there. And that has been a technique that I think he even used when he became more advanced mm-hmm. and started using the whole Interatron thing that he set up, which the Interatron, as you yeah. know, was kind of like the teleprompter that he hid the camera behind. Yeah. That he'll ask these questions and leave someone long enough that they feel that they have to just start talking yeah. and will rattle things off. That's the secret, I think, to documentary filmmaking is just shutting the fuck up. Right. And – this was at a time where he was shooting on film, didn't have a lot of money. 
Right. And that's a like, that's a, I don't want to say brave choice because that kind of, you know, I don't want to get too precious about it. But when you don't have much film and it's burning through that fucking camera, Completely. money burning through that camera, that's and he right. just has the gumption to sit there and let that happen. That's like, I'm sure that was hard to do for him. I mean, it's tough. It's ballsy to just let that. But you know what? You know, I certainly know a lot of times that that we're shooting. Mm-hmm. It's right then when you turn off the camera mm-hmm. that some kind of magic happens. <laughs> and that's right? today with when you can with, just shoot. You for, can shoot forever, forever, right? Yeah. It's it. You know, it's it's frustrating at times because you feel like. If you just left this running at all times, but then who wants to have to deal with all of that footage, where it is or whatever mm-hmm. to get to it? But back to what you're saying, for Errol Morris to do that at that time with film mm-hmm. was... It's crazy. It's crazy. It's ballsy and risky. Yeah. Because then you're going to run out of film and then someone else, you know, Turkey Hunter, uh, Henry Shipes or someone else is going to have this right. magic moment. Yeah. Which he, that film. probably happened, I'm Completely. sure. Well... That just happened. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> we'll get to him too. Um, the one of uh, the cops lines that I thought was so funny that I'd never noticed until two nights ago was, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, he's sitting out there just for context, everyone, uh, basically like sitting on the highway, just watching people drive right. by, seeing if they're going too fast to pull him over. And he goes, you know, I don't hide. I don't hide. But there are a few places I sit where where you can hardly see me. <laughs> so he makes a big point to talk about how it's, it's not, not a speed really trap. Not, yes. But there are a bunch of places I go sit where you can barely see yeah. me. And, you know, that I think the mundane, like Errol Morris knew, like he was an important part of the story. Not a lot happens, but that's the point. Completely. Is this cop just sits around all day long. Yeah. And it's from, you know, from the few shots where he, sh- where he shows the wide shots, not very many. Yeah. Opening shot where you show the town and the oh, that um, mosquito truck, mosquito, yeah, yeah, mosquito truck, just driving through, just blowing God knows what kind of pesticides, completely, and massive amounts of pesticides. So maybe that was the uh, the old guys' uh, issue. <laughs> maybe that contributed to. Oh uh, well, yeah, they've been sucking down <laughs> yeah, mosquito yeah. dust for yeah. forty years or whatever. I didn't realize that too that I had never put together Albert Bitterling being uh, the. That's yeah. Albert Bitterling. Uh-huh. Um, he is credited with the music for for this film. Oh, did he play that opening bit? Yes, which would have been like him humming through a harmonica maybe? I think so. I was trying to figure out what that was. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it a million times. But again, two nights ago, I was like, what the fuck is that? Yes. It's, it's got a harmonica to it. I think he's like humming is through he? the harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> he invented his own yes. technique. <laughs> I had always wondered. I mean, you told me today. I wondered which one was Albert Bitterling. And is he credited on the film? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Score or music. And that's the only time that there's any kind of music within yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, the, this is very lo-fi. Right. Which is what, what makes it so great. Also, too, I just love that there's not a – I mean, I guess there wouldn't be a, a cleaned-up version because it is what it is. But – it's still like on, you know, Apple movies or whatever looks like a VHS right. tape yes, you're right. that you had popped in. Yeah. You know, I like that it, it exists like that still. Well, see, now, Chuck, they could shoot it on 4K and remember the app I that know. I told you that I could just downgrade it. I wondered, though, last night when I was watching it, or I, I was like, I love the look of it. But sometimes I wonder, like, what it would look like if it was in shot with, like, modern equipment. Right. 
you know, like the very same film, because there are some beautiful shots in here. Yeah. All that turkey stuff in the woods at sunrise. Well, and and the that just happened, those shots. Yeah. They're beautiful. They are. Even with that grainy old yes. film, you know. I would like to see an, a, a super crisp version. Well, maybe we can uh, <laughs> do part two. Yeah. Henry Shipes Jr., what's he like? Do you know? <laughs> I don't, I don't did you know. ever talk to the son? He, uh, I did not talk to Henry Shipes Jr. He's probably close to our age, right? He's a little bit older, I think. Okay. He had some medical issues, too. Yeah, they all did. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. There's a mosquito truck going through the town. And a lot of diabetes, was, probably. Uh, type yeah. 2 diabetes. Well, he had type 2 diabetes. Henry yeah. did? Henry Jr. Uh, and I think Dad did, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, certainly not making fun of that. It's very sad, actually. Uh, so then the old-timer pops in, and he may actually, he may be my MVP. I love that guy so much. Uh, and I remember the, uh, he tells that great story about the mule, the dead yes. mule full yes. of uh, walleye perch. Completely. <laughs> he drags uh, the mule out. A hundred. How many did he find in there? 119. No, that's 119. I know it's 119 times, but yeah. like 111, 14 walleye <laughs> perch in that mule. Well, just as old as. Uh, I love it, man. And he tells this story. Uh, and you can, he's probably told that story a thousand times over the years. Right. And he still giggles. Yes. And it's delighted in telling that story. And it's just adorable. Like, it reminds me of, you know, us being from the South. There's a lot of affection for these old Southerners and their stories and stuff. And didn't it make you feel like this guy makes me feel a lot of them do throughout this movie. But let's say, you know, like you said, growing up in the South around these type of characters, there is this old guy. Yeah. That you know mm -hmm. you've heard him tell the story like this before. And not just how he tells it, his mannerisms. When he's talking about that old mule in the river just broke off out of there, the yeah. way he just moves. Don't you know it? Was don't you tough know? as leather. Tough as leather, don't yeah. you know? <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah. It's that like I want the guy to be my Yeah. I wanted him to be my granddad, unfortunately. So with the old timer too, I remember the first time I saw that, uh saw it with Clay and Jason. When he goes over to his uh, those cages on his property and is peeling off the top of the cages of these t old tin roofs, and I'll, I remember having so much anticipation, like, what is he going to pull out of that fucking cage? Here it goes. You know, and the first time it's that big old tortoise. It's a tortoise. Which but is great. But she calls it a, a gopher. Right. It's a gopher. Yeah, which is, but there's a thing called a gopher tortoise That's I right. found out. That's right. But And Errol Morris is on record as saying, like, I thought a lot of them were saying things wrong and making mistakes. And he said, I thought it was so funny that he called it a gopher. And he said, years later, I learned that there is a gopher tortoise. And isn't it, it's cute, too, that he says you notice that he is like the setup for him going to tell the story. Mm -hmm. That he pulls it out and he says probably to Errol off camera, he goes, put it, put it back. Yeah. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to put it back now? I'm telling you the story. Yeah, yeah. And move on to the next story. <laughs> You want me to strike the stool? Yeah, strike it. <laughs> well, and at the end too, uh, with the with the couple with the the growing sand, yes, uh, that they got from White Sands National Monument, he was laughing about that, Errol Morris, and he said, years later, I found out that White Sands uh, it's gypsum, and he said, if you move gypsum, uh, it can actually grow if you get it to a different climate. There's the way the water 
leeches out or something. He said the sand can actually appear to grow. So they may not have been crazy. Yes. And, you know, we just took that to the fact of the arid desert drying out the land next to it. Uh Uh-huh. That they had heard this, it's growing. <laughs> right. Not that you put it in a jar. You're right. And it's going to be like a tomato plant uh-huh. of sand. <laughs> uh, well, then he pulls out the possum. The, the old guy does. Yes. Uh, he pulls out the tortoise and the possum just to finish that little uh, line of thought. And he says, uh, he says, he said I was the only fella that knew what to do with a possum. His friend, yes, who gave it to him, right? That's just such a sweet line. <laughs> uh, then they go back to Henry, and he's—I mean, I think it's—he tells a lot of different hunting stories, but I think that one in the middle, where he's—I'm tired of this. I'm going to kill that turkey. Where he tells that sort of epic story of stalking that one turkey. Right. That's to me like. Now, hang on. This is the favorite of all his stories. When he gets—is this when he gets lost? Or, or he well, says, he lost a couple of times, which is funny. I made a note of that too. Like he's this experienced woodsman, and he talks a couple of times. I don't think he has a good sense of direction, and he just can't say that out loud. Well, he does that at one time when he's looking at his hands. Uh-huh. He when he says, "You know, planted pines are in a row," <laughs> and he looks at his hands like four different ways of <laughs> how he's going to show you how planted pines are actually in a row. Right, right. No, but this is a story about. Uh, I think it starts off with a my God, that's the best diarrhea medicine in the world. Turkey, turkey cured diarrhea. <laughs> and he tells a story about whistling, and he and he looked up, and that's right, and he whistled, <laughs> and he whistled, and I, and and pow, he looked. <laughs> hey, was that the end of it? That one? Yeah, yeah. And that was the end of it. Pow, pow, and that's him right there. This may be two different stories I'm conflating because the other one was when he. <laughs> Talked about the uh, that one turkey he was hunting, and they got right up on, and he was just called, <laughs> and he said, and I tried to shoot his head, bow, and I shot him, and I just rolled him over. Just rolled him <laughs> over. And a big, a big old hole in the ground right there. And that's the one where he burps in the middle of it, yes. and he over-explains the whole deal with the tire tracks. <laughs> that's like, right. You know what I'm saying, because like, we had just been through there. Yes, you know, if you walk across a dirt road— and then a tire comes back through, and you don't see the tracks. Yeah. Then you get that they've been, shh. Yeah. He's in here. <laughs> so good. Amazing. But he's he's introducing guys. I mean, this movie is only 55 minutes long. You don't get to that couple till the last 10 minutes of the movie. So he's introducing people throughout. Right. Which I thought was interesting as a documentarian to not just say, like, in the first 20 minutes, like, here are the eight people or whatever. Right. So, like, he's popping people, and he has that worm guy, like, halfway through the movie. You know, the you know they they tell you how to raise them in the books, but them <laughs> nah, books a, is wrong. That's a wiggler. <laughs> them books is wrong. Here's a question, though, Chuck, that you may have seen in this research, that, that, like, you're mentioning, say, the couple with the sand. Yeah. And, you know, there are certain characters that are throughout, that are throughout the whole film but then there's someone that he's introducing later on, and they're all magical. Yeah. Is there anyone in the notes that you have found or research that you found that Errol Morris had left out of this? Now, mind you, oh, obviously he's know. leaving out anyone that was involved with Nub City, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But 
Did he just catch magic all the time with turning a camera on these people to... I know. I wondered about that. Like, is there, you know, a director's cut out there somewhere? Well, maybe we'll get to ask Errol once we have that. Yeah, like, is there cutting room floor shit that's just, like, four more characters that we never even met? Because there's, you know, every one of these are like, you know, like we're saying, it's magic, but... When you get inside the church, yeah, and inside the church, when we go into the yeah, the, their, preacher. the preacher, the therefore sermon, yeah, there has to be a point where Errol Morris has to look around, yeah, and go, "Holy fucking shit!" <laughs> it's just, am I being punked? <laughs> totally. I thought that before. I thought, you know. Ashton Kutcher is jumping out right. <laughs> of you know the side of the wall of the church right. because there's gotcha. no way. And I'd like to see the timeline of like when all of this was filmed. If he got have have you already shot the the couple with the sand or maybe they're at wherever this is. Yeah, if you get in this church and you went, holy shit, this is actually happening right now. Yeah, yeah. But it's important to have a a therefore experience. Yeah, a relatively young Errol Morris as a documentarian, I'm sure was just pinching himself. Right. Like and you and I grew up, I mean you went to church and stuff growing up, right? Right. Like these sort of Baptist Southern churches in Florida. I mean this was yeah. that was that church. Yeah, we like we saw I saw so many sermons like this where now that I'm you know, older and outside of that world, looking back and looking at this guy, it's like they they would run out of material. Completely. And have to come up with that sermon every week, though. And there's only so many, you know, biblical stories you can tell over and over again. Right. So I saw sermons like this. Yes. Where they would, where it was just a bunch of bullshit. Completely. You know? But, you know, it's always coming back to the last thing, though, too. You know, what you have to do is come and accept. It's come the, on it, down. it all leads to the invitation. The invitation that all leads to the invitation. Yeah. And he was still able to parlay yeah. The use of the word therefore uh-huh. suspicious, suspiciously being used. Which it wasn't. 119 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> times, yeah. says him, leads into the invitation to come on down and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Yeah, which is the only thing he ties it in is just by saying, like, if you if you want a therefore, <laughs> therefore experience, experience. <laughs> come on down come the on aisle. Down. This is what you need. But it was it, it's theater, man. It's like really? I saw that every single Sunday. Yes, was this um, performance mm-hmm. uh, telling a story to lead to that tells them uh, has a moral that leads you to be you know to the invitation. It's all right. about that invitation. Mm-hmm. Even says in the bulletin, invitation. That's right. Every week. And you know what, Chuck? I have certain theories about people that have been brought up within that, mm-hmm. that that leads to to their minds almost being wired to always lead into the preacher, whether he's talking about the yeah. therefore experience, uh-huh. just trust what I'm saying yeah. into the invitation, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I thought even now, watching it again to watch this yesterday and today, that feels like that one scene really works now as much as ever. If I mm-hmm. didn't appreciate it for all that it was, then 
everything that we have going on right now, I could see that I appreciate this scene a lot more now. Yeah, and and like the uh, I don't know if Errol Morris is trying to make some big statement on the literalism of certain Christian faiths, mm-hmm. but like before the therefore scene sermon, he's he's being interviewed and he's talking about basically like praying, uh, getting prayers answered to go buy shit, right? Whether it's land or a van, van, right? And he literally believes that God delivered a van to him when or a property to him when in fact when you listen to the story it's like no he he met with a real estate guy Absolutely who right. said oh you know what i got another guy over here who has or, or, or a car salesman oh, i know a guy selling a van you need a van it's right in your price range that's right that is god performing a miracle and it's really just a car salesman selling a car or it's a therefore experience <laughs> chuck it's really funny man Goodness me. Uh, yeah, I even have the therefore sermon capitalized, you know? <laughs> therefore. There are certain people that, I mean, we've said this about the the uh, lines. Um, you know, you know Ronnie Land, right? Our land? Mm-hmm. He well, will not even, personally, but yeah. He'll even just throw, every now and then, we'll say, we'll just throw a text about something that poignant that happens. Uh-huh. And he would just say, Wow. So therefore, experience is going on right there. <laughs> well, and what's funny, and I think Errol Morris might have been trying to make a statement because I don't know if you noticed, but right before the therefore sermon, which is 100% bullshit, yes. not inspiring, mm-hmm. not uh, – not, it doesn't talk about Jesus' work or – you know, it's 100% bullshit. We can all agree. Right. But right before that is a scene with Brain Bowl Man – Saying something actually not inspiring, but like religiously significant because it's the scene where he's talking about uh, that little soliloquy about God creating the earth. And he said it was good and very good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he'll give you – what does he say? Like the – God is good and very good, and he'll give you It was at the end. It was something really kind of sweet that he says, and a little uplifting. Like, he'll give you the power of, you know, something. I can't remember. I can't remember. But it's actually kind of touching. Yes. And then immediately goes to this preacher that's talking about praying for a van and and a house. Right. And therefore experiences. And, like, which one is the real, you know, sage here? (laughs) Right. The guy who can... Move his foot on the ground <laughs> in one direction and four balls of brains. <laughs> four, in other words, five things. <laughs> oh, another uh, bit of like true philosophy and beauty is the river guy who I don't think he's the old timer, is he or is he? He's not. I don't he's think he's a different he is. guy, right? He's a different guy. It looks like his brother yeah, or something. I mean, it, you know, again, it's hard to tell with that because of the the shadows. Yeah. When he's when he's going through that river talking we're talking about god right. right yeah 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 and it sounds like he's sort of rambling but he's he's always saying something beautiful in that scene completely when he talks about a, uh well actually this is um albert has that great scene at the end where he talks about the drop of rain in the sunlight mm-hmm. might look more beautiful than a diamond absolutely but because he's saying it in that voice yeah, i'm like it's just so easy to laugh that off that's right 
but it's actually quite beautiful. It is. And the same with the river guy. The river guy. That it, it's it's that whole scene all put together. What he looks like, his cadence, saying someone that doesn't have faith, mm-hmm. right? And he's saying, well, when when something good for you, ha- you know, when something good happens, what do you call that? That's God. And he goes, no, that's that just happens. Right. That just happens. Emphasizing that just happens. Uh-huh. Let's, let's call that of that just happens God. Yeah. That, at that point can go right back to what we just said, the, the, the sermon. Yeah. Right? That you have kind of like this, the two sides of it, that is it, is it that just happens that's God that happens? Or is the, the you know, he was lucky, which also mm-hmm. Albert Bitterling says, you know, within, wedged within that. Yeah. Or just had a good real estate agent. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, Bitterling's got to be dead. Oh, he's dead. Sure. He's dead. In fact, I, th- I think all, everybody all probably. All of them are, because other than potentially Snake. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking great is that if Snake is the only one around? The guy uh, who doesn't even have a word in the movie. Um uh, we got to mention that Albert Bitterling actually tried to take a picture of the moon by holding opera glasses up to a camera yes, lens. Yes, he did. Which is great. He, um, he dismisses it, though, for a second because he was like, I don't know. <laughs> take, a, take a look. I held it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what does he say? He says, you, uh, what, buy a, buy a cheap, buy a crappy cam, you get a crappy picture? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, more philosophy. That's right. Everything this guy says is philosophical, um, except for uh, one of my favorite lines. They should run him out of town on a rail. Tar and feather him. Next time we'll give you the hot seat, buddy. <laughs> I like that. You see you see his wheels turning because he goes, uh-huh. yeah, it, it it progresses. He goes, run him out of a town, ta- run, run, run him out of town on a rail. <laughs> then it blinks. He goes, tarred and feathered. <laughs> Yeah, I like that, tart and fettered. And then my last great line I have down here from Henry is uh, get the dry heaves, like from a drunk gag and puke. Just your nerves. Just your nerves, the dry heave. But the nerves that come up, I it affects me. Uh-huh. And after the end of it, you, it's not only how he says, it's the side look. Yeah. The dry heave, the gag and puke. Uh-huh. Ain't nothing but your nerves. <laughs> well, he gets the last line in the movie. You know, they have that great finish with him in the boat now. Yes. Uh, in the swamp. Yeah. And the last line of the very of the movie, you know, he's counting all the buzzards right. in the trees. Yes. <laughs> he counts up to like 40 or something, yes. one at a time. And he goes, hmm, I wish there were as many turkeys as there are buzzards. <laughs> so great. So great. I wish there were as many turkeys as there are buzzards. Oh, it's so great. And and that like he's not goofing off. He's not kidding around. No. He's he had a moment there where he saw those buzzards yeah. and just thought, man, what if those were all turkeys? Completely. His life. That I, I mean, could kill. Chuck, his life. He says early in the maybe the first scene that he's in when he said he had said, like kind of leading back to this moment, I closed my business down. Yeah. To go turkey hunting. Uh-huh. 
you see right now how important yeah. this is just this is his life yeah yeah right yeah and this like it, it really struck me how you can make a documentary about whatever places that are fantastic amazing events historical events important things and like Errol Morris went to the Florida Panhandle in the late 70s and early 80s and documented a nothing town and it's it's there forever now right like no one would ever known and i think that is important absolutely i don't think it should all be some fantastical story about a famous person like now we know what central panhandle was like in 1980 and who are these people absolutely didn't need a lot didn't have to have a whole bunch of music no nope. didn't have to have a whole bunch of anything other than just these Magical characters that maybe, gee, just lucky. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's it, man. Dude, I can't wait to see it again. I should have just bought it. I had a copy on VHS, but who has a VCR? Right. I, I still have the copy <laughs> on the VHS. I think I do too like somewhere. A, I got a box time home somewhere. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women, like, especially when it comes to black women 
the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, All right, dude. Well, we'll finish here with uh, five questions. Yes, sir. Uh, Actually, I usually do an Ebert thing. I don't remember what he gave this, but I did find an Ebert quote. Yeah, Ebert said, uh, Vernon, Florida does not exactly make fun of its subjects. It has too much affection for them, but it sees them as originals who sometimes let their enthusiasms run away with them. Hmm. So he didn't think he was making fun of them either. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, All right, dude, five questions. Uh, What was the first movie you saw in the theater? First movie I saw in the theater was Fantasia. Oh, okay. I think someone else has said that. I was bored to tears. I can remember. You know why? Because Fantasia kind of sucks. I I remember. I mean, it made a huge, uh, had a huge effect on me. Yeah. Because I was bored to tears. Yeah. All right. Uh, First R-rated movie you saw. First R-rated film also had a huge effect on me. It was Tunnel Vision. Came out, and I'm going to say in maybe 1976, 77. So we're talking about, you know, how old was I? You're probably eight or nine. Seven. Seven or so. Yeah. Right, eight. That, who knows why my folks took me to the theater Uh to see Tunnel Vision. It was basically a series of wacky vignettes uh-huh right i've never heard of that and they're kind of like say laughing or you know weird wacky vignettes like kentucky fried movie kind Completely. of thing? very much like that yeah that i don't even remember anything about it chuck other than there's one scene where a bunch of people are bent over with their bare asses hanging out <laughs> yeah. and it's as as if it's a commercial uh-huh. and the guy says does this look good to you and it has something to do with who knows what. Maybe they're chapped or whatever. And then he goes to swab, smear, ointment all over a butt. And so <laughs> think of a kid being like seven years oh, old. That's probably the funniest thing you've ever seen. Well, I mean, I don't know how to react. You yeah. know, because at, at the time, had everyone in the theater like gasped, I would have been like, what am I supposed to do? But my dad is like falling out of his chair <laughs> laughing. So I was like... I guess this is what funny is, and maybe that yeah. kind of even goes to my own development of yeah, wacky, stupid humor. Kids, I think maybe it's because adults laugh. I'm trying to figure that all out because when you see your kid laughing at a fart, yeah, uh, like you wonder, like, is it just inherently funny, or is is she picking up on us thinking it's Completely. funny? Completely right. Yeah, because now it's a it's a whole thing, the tootie booty, and like. You know, the, did you just tootie booty on me? Yes. I just picked you up and you farted on me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a big game now, you know, yes. or the butt, just the whole thing, the dancing with the butt in your face Completely. and like it just starts so early. It's so cool to see. Well, it's, it, it's, I, my humor is always stuck to being there at seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. So I still go with sure the butt, mm-hmm. those jokes. And now I kind of like it that Fiona is, she she goes against that, but I can tell thinks, oh, no, here comes dad. Right, right. Here they go. Here goes that scene. They're going to show uh-huh. their butts, and here he is. <laughs> I love it. But, I mean, 
dude, if if there is a God who created man, like that's got to be a, an inside joke. There could have been a lot of ways to construct the human body, yeah. but to make a smelly, flammable yes. s- thing that makes a sound come out of your asshole. Right. It's all there. Absolutely. And, and you know, and all take, the comedy is right there. Right there. <laughs> it smells. It sounds funny. You it can, is funny. You can it's light it. You can, <laughs> and it comes, it. And you it comes out of your ass. But, huh? Oh, God. Um, let me see. Already movie. Uh Number three, let me think of what I'll do for that one for you. What uh, what documentary do you wish you had made? Mm. And you can't say Vernon, Florida. I can't say Vernon, Florida. Just to have been there. Hmm. Let me think about this now. Hmm. It's not a fair question. I mean, that's I a that. tough one. I'm going to say, you know what? Maybe American movie. Mm. Good answer. You know? And that also feels like a movie that you could have made, just knowing you and your sensibilities. And that, that could have been a Mike Anderson film. It It, it has... A bit of the Vernon aspect as well that you kind of have to – you would have had to be at the right place at the right time with those characters. Yeah. But – Shank. Mike Shank, <laughs> Mark Borchard. But the deal with that one is that um, instead of just turning the camera, I think that there there is a little bit more work. I mean mm-hmm. – and, and maybe that's the thing about – a lot of documentaries. Why it's 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 really hard for some of these documentaries that you really have to dedicate a tremendous amount of time. Yeah, right? knowing that you're not going to get paid. That's right. There's no pot of gold at the end of documentary rainbow. Right. You know, and I mean, very and, and, very seldom. And ve- very <laughs> almost never. Well, you never do. We always do. That those guys, and, and not to mention, I mean, you're going to have something good at the end if you can if you can last throughout that that amount of time. Mm-hmm. But um, while it probably seems cool a lot of times in the documentary, whatever, it's hour and a half or two hours, mm-hmm. it could be real taxing, I think, to hang around with the Mark Borchards and the Mike Shanks mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? For as long as it would take to make that movie. But I highly respect that movie a yeah. lot and, and to be able to pull that off. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, man. Uh, will you walk out of a bad movie? Do you bail? Uh, I have. I say which one, the last one that I walked out of, I can't remember, but I have definitely walked out of a movie where I was bored to tears. And a lot of that's is as much on me as that movie just mm-hmm. because my attention span is right. one that just, it just can't do it. All right. Uh, and finally, movie going one hundred and one. What are your? Uh, I know you probably don't get out to the theater a ton anymore, like mm-hmm. most grown adults with kids. Yep. But uh, what's your what's your movie ritual? Where Where do you go? What do you eat? Movie ritual now is we go to while there are the. IMAX screen that you can lay down in yeah. <laughs> and say Phipps or whatever. Sure. 
we still uh, like to go to Tara. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jenny and I will go to Tara, and, and you can get drinks now, adult drinks. Yeah, Tara, everyone, is the, I guess, sort of longstanding art house theater in Atlanta mm-hmm. that um, y- you will always, no matter what our age is, you will always be the youngest person at the Tara. <laughs> right. That's right. Which is great. That's they, right. They show movies that the the 75-year-olds of Atlanta love to go see. <laughs> I can't. Generally. And they do. Well, they'll they'll have those, The what you said, the art the art films that come back around, Call Me By Your Name, I, I think, is the last. Yeah. That's we when you saw, saw there. over there. Now, again, that's over there. I mean, we've seen other movies since uh-huh. then on those, you know, the laydown yeah. theater. <laughs> but th- at this age, the laydown theater is very dangerous. Yeah. Because it's called the <laughs> laydown and go night-night. Theater. Yeah, we don't, we don't go to those either. Like the one at, like, with the big recliners. Yes. We, every now and then, but... Uh, I, I go to Emily and I don't get out to movies together that much anymore. Mm-hmm. How can you? Yeah, okay. I, I do the matinees. Yeah, by myself now. But you also can, you can stream those right at home. It's kind of there's an yeah. aspect. There's kind of a little bit of a. I mean, there's convenience. Yeah, but I will say like, and I don't want to be those that snob that's like, oh, well, you really should have seen it in the theater. Yes. But I saw Roma in the theater, mm-hmm. and I saw Roma at home, mm-hmm. and it was two very different experiences. I'm sure. I saw Roma at home. Yeah. And I said, oh, shit. I bet this is I great. wish I'd have seen this one at the theater. <laughs> yeah. It, it made a big difference for that movie, yeah. but still great. Yeah. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. It's good stuff. Awesome. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I was laughing with Mike afterward. I was like, hey, I bet there's about maybe 200 movie crushers who've actually seen Vernon, Florida. And that may be the best hour and a half of their week was us talking about it. And I tried to not just sit around and tell jokes and do character voices and repeat lines, which is what we've always done with this movie. But I think we had a good discussion about it and looked at it through a bit of a different lens here in our our late middle age and um, every time I see that movie, it, it, something new jumps out at me and speaks to me a little bit differently. I think Mike felt the same way. So uh, it was a lot of fun talking with my good friend about that great film. And uh, I hope we did it justice. If you have not seen Vernon, Florida, go check it out. It's 55 minutes long, and it's just some of the purest uh, documentary in its most pure form that you will see uh, in the beginnings of Errol Morris's great, great career. So I hope you dug it. Go check out Vernon, Florida. Uh, go check out Mike's work, uh, Lords of Sapelo. This is a production company. They're, they're doing lots of fun stuff here in Atlanta. And uh, appreciate you listening, everyone. Until next week. What are they looking for? Oh, you ask them. I don't know. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.